0: So last night I sat down with my friend George King via video call to discuss
1: the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness. Enjoy. You kind of assume that faithfulness is just the the fruit that everybody has. I mean, you become a believer, you're following Jesus. I mean, faith's involved in there. All right, I have faith. I believe something. Therefore, I guess I have faithfulness because I'm still a believer. I still go to church. I still read my Bible, whatever. Like, I'm not sure any of us can really say we've got faithfulness just yet. I mean, it's a it's a long-term fruit. I, mm. It just takes a long time to prove yourself faithful. I mean, yeah. I've been, my wife and I, we just celebrated our 23rd anniversary. So we've got 23 years under our belt, and I would say I am more faithful now than I was at our first anniversary. I mean, I've had uh, 23 years worth of opportunities to love her and to hurt her and to be loved and to be hurt and and I think our trajectory is more in the direction of love than hurt and so the longer we go being married the more faithful we can be to one another I think it's a, the same with being a disciple of Jesus it just this faithfulness thing takes a long time
0: so what about these uh, couples that they they're married for like 40 years and at some point, they're like, I've put up with this crap enough. I'm out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do they have faithfulness? I, I don't know. You know, I've thought about that. Maybe they have, they had some perseverance. They had some long suffering. I don't know their spouse. I mean, maybe it was long suffering. <laughs> faithfulness to me, I mean, you get to the very root of the word faith. It really means um, like a belief or trust in something. And if, if I believe or trust in something, I'm going to act as if that thing is true. Right? The reason I flip a light switch on every time I go into a dark room is I believe that by switching the light switch on, light's going to come on. I mean, I don't know how. I don't know why. I just know when I flip it, somehow that light bulb's going to say, hey, it's my time to shine. I've never gone into a room and gone, I don't think electricity will work this time, so I'm not going to flip it. My belief is such that I'm going to act in a certain way. And maybe some of these people who stay married for 40 years, maybe their belief is not in knowing their spouse and building relationship maybe there was something about i believe we've got to stick it out for the kids or i believe we've got to stick it out for oh, that's just what you do that doesn't mean that they're faithful to one another i mean that's a That's another key aspect of faith and faithfulness i mean biblically you can't separate faith from relationship with god in a biblical sense it just it doesn't happen You say, well, yeah, I have faith in God, and other people have faith in their gods and so forth. But in a biblical sense, the the Old Testament understanding of faith is there's a a mutual relationship, a back and forth between you and God, and you can't have that with an idol. So the word faith and idolatry doesn't ever—they don't really connect in the Old Testament. The Israelites don't have a a faithful relationship with their idols because those idols are dead. Yeah, and so in, in like in a marriage situation, you know, married 40 years and then that's it, I quit. That sounds to me like maybe you're not, there's not that mutual relationship and, and giving and knowing and leaning in on one another. So I think faithfulness is missing in that.
0: Stayed within the legal boundaries of what constitutes marriage for 40 years. But faithfulness has to do with staying in the the bullseye of the target.
1: Yeah, yeah. and And not always staying in the bullseye, but when you realize you're outside of it, get back to it, right? Like, I mean, I don't know anyone who's faithful 100% except for God, but the rest of us seeking to be faithful, right? It's about that direction, not necessarily my position and condition at the moment.
0: Did you define the word?
1: How do you define faithfulness without using the word faith? The closest I can get is, it's living a life of confidence and trust. You mentioned my story, like, pursuing Jesus, pursuing the kingdom. And some of that has not been under the best of circumstances with folks. And you find out quickly when you start pursuing Jesus in the kingdom, who doesn't want Jesus in the kingdom? And and they'll let you know. Uh, and sometimes you second guess yourself. You're like, man, am I getting this wrong? Did I really just, could I have, have blown it so bad? And and yet there there is this uh, Holy Spirit given confidence and ability to trust uh, that that no, God has spoken to me in these ways in the past and led me in these ways, and that's been consistently reliable. Uh, I'm going to trust that process. I'm going to trust uh, that this is the Spirit leading me, and I don't think that that means I'm being arrogant. I think that's more being faithful.
0: So when I think of faithful, I think of the parable of the talents where jesus says to the ones who were diligent right they were motivated they took risks mm-hmm. they were disciplined they were hard workers they worked when this when the master was away anyone can yeah. work with the yeah. threat of punishment and somebody lording it over them with a whip but for them to diligently work full on while the master was away and then he comes back and and they've they've made something without him there on his behalf, for his sake, and he says, well done, good and faithful servants.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I was thinking, I um, wasn't sure why C.S. Lewis' story, The Last Battle, came to mind. But in there, oh, now I know why, because the, the guy's name is Emmett, and that's the Hebrew word for faith. That's the Old Testament word, Emmett. Um, looks like MF, but, you know, Emmett. He's Tash's general. Tash is the evil overlord, the uh-huh. Satan figure. But he is extremely faithful in his life to Tash, uh-huh. faithful to the wrong person, but the the right kind of faithful. And at the end of the battle, you know, he dies, and here he is in Aslan's country, and he's standing before Aslan, and he, in his own mind, realizes, I was with Tash. This is my moment of judgment and condemnation and destruction. And Aslan tells him, What you did for Tash, I take that as service to myself. Because you can only do, Tash only accepts evil and destruction and faithlessness. He didn't know what to do with you. you. You were faithful, which is a scary thought. I mean, I could be faithful to the completely wrong thing. You and I both, I'm sure, have experienced it. Something that I believed and have acted on only to find out it's not true. I mean, I have a background as a personal trainer. Most diets are that way. People will believe in them and then discover I was lied to. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, like they were faithful to follow it, but it didn't help them.
0: What is a common dietary untrue myth?
1: Carbohydrates get a bad rap. Like all of a sudden, all carbs make me fat. And so they stop eating carbs, and then they can't figure out why they can't move and function. And they're like, because you need those carbs. Like, you have to have those, right? And then the other thing, all fat is bad. Well, no, just like Twinkie fat and man-made fats. But avocado fats and fish oil fats, those are good for you. Uh, so people will try to f- go to an extreme and cut one thing out altogether, uh, thinking that uh, if I only eat this. Then I'll be good. <laughs> I mean, just for example, they start off eating plants, right? Yeah. Uh, basic vegetarian. And then when the flood comes, atmospheric changes. You know, body is not doing what it needs to do. It's going to need more protein to recover. Well, now you're going to have to eat some meat because you're going to need more protein than what you're getting. And, you know, those sorts of things all throughout Scripture. Uh, I think he changes it four or five times.
0: When I was a brand new Christian and I discovered Genesis 9, this uh, covenant with Noah, where he's like, all right, no more floods. Also, you can have meat. I remembered thinking, oh, yeah, baby, it's the prime rib covenant. It's a good day. There you go. Right, right. <laughs> so in this passage that our whole class is built on, which is Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, unlike some of the other fruits of the Spirit, which seem like, oh, okay, joy. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit. Oh, love. Love comes from the Holy Spirit. Oh, peace. Peace comes from the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness. Huh? I thought that
1: was my job. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you, you point that out. Because, you know, the the first thing that, that you notice is it's the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. I mean, anything that's coming from the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. And I think there's significance there that it's singular. You can't really have one without some measure of the other. So it's not like I can go, all right, fruit of the Spirit is love. I'll start there. I don't care if I have any of the other things. I'm going to have love first. One right. common exercise I hear people do all the time, and it makes me cringe, they go to First Corinthians 13 love is patient, love is kind, and so on, right? And they tell people, they're well-meaning, I'm sure, but they tell people, just put your name in there. Tim is patient. Tim is kind. you know. And if you're like me, I'll be the first one to tell you, George is not patient. Nope, George is not kind. Are you kidding me? Of course George keeps record of wrongs. That's I'm a human. I'm fallen. That's what I do. <laughs> it's love that does that. Like, well, if love does that, if if I want to be more patient, more kind, then I have to become love. And the only way I know how to do that is abide in Jesus. I mean, that's it. Yeah. I don't I don't know any other way. And uh, Scripture enjoys talking about these things in terms of fruit and trees. And personally, I think it, it's always pointing us back to Genesis 3. I think it's always taking us back to garden language, pre-fall, because yeah. that's – The pattern that we're supposed to follow.
0: So, how do I grow in faith in the in the fruit of faithfulness?
1: The language I I prefer is abiding in Jesus, right? And people want, well, what what does it mean to abide in Jesus? My church members ask me that every week because I tell them every week you need to abide in Jesus. I tell them, be with him, spend time with him. Right? learn from him, become like him. Sometimes it means being quiet with him. Sometimes it means reading about his life in the gospels, talking to him, seeking to be obedient when you discover truth. Just go read the Sermon on the Mount and start one thing at a time maybe and learn how to become the kind of person who naturally obeys those things. And as soon as I try hard to be faithful, I'm probably going to just mess it up. I just need to Focus on being with Jesus and allow Him to help me be more faithful, to produce that in me. Mean, I don't. It's a it's a weird concept.
0: I'm thinking about what you just said there because I'm like, okay, that feels a little bit like a paradox.
1: I mean, He tells us to teach disciples to obey everything He's commanded, right? And so we probably ought to know what He commanded. I mean, that's maybe a first step. What, well, what does Jesus tell me? I don't know. <laughs> and we'll go figure that out and then practice. Okay, how do we how do we begin to do this? You know, He says. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. All right, well, I'm going to go keep your commandments because I love you. And by keeping them as imperfectly as I am doing, your spirit is going to guide me into doing it better. I mean, if I'm willing to be teachable, the Holy Spirit is going to teach me how to do these better.
0: Do you see a connection with how much grace is on your life and how much discipline you put into your life?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I got you. Um, yeah, I mean, the discipline in my life is is simply. Well, put it this way: at the at the end of Galatians five twenty two, after the the fruit of the spirit, Paul says, "Hey, against these things there's no law," right? Right. But then he adds this last thing, and he says, "By the way, you need to crucify your flesh along with its passions and desires." Now, the other night, I woke up at one in the morning, and I just couldn't go back to sleep. I thought, well, this is ridiculous. I probably am going to just go spend some time with the Lord. And I went to Galatians 5. And that phrase caught me. I mean, because it's not very often that we think about crucifying ourselves. Most other places, I, you know, I started searching, well, where else does this, this phrase work? And it's, we've been crucified with Christ. The world right. has been crucified to us. I mean, the majority of crucifixion is done on our behalf. By Jesus but not here. for us. Yeah, right, right, right. Correct. But not here. Here, Paul clearly says, you need to crucify yourself, your flesh, along yeah. with its passions and desires. And Jesus said the same thing. If anyone has any desire to follow me, he needs to take his cross up every day. Well, uh-huh. he's not talking about putting a necklace on, right? I mean, that that <laughs> cross, that's a torturous device designed for one thing to humiliate and devastate and kill what goes on it and Paul is saying that's your flesh your passions your desires what you want that's got to go on that cross and and die and i have a part to play in that uh, mm-hmm. and so when i when i engage in any kind of disciplined action that is surrendered to the holy spirit i mean you've got prayer and fasting and and so on i but i think Lots of things can become what we call spiritual disciplines. If they're surrendered to the Holy Spirit, they enable me. That, that's God's grace enabling me through that activity to do something that I just can't do on my own. I can go out and try and muster up faithfulness and love and patience, uh, or I can fast and let the Holy Spirit work on me through fasting. And in fasting, maybe discover why I'm so impatient or unloving and begin to deal with that. And I wouldn't have been able to do that on my own. So I think there is a connection between discipline and grace. Grace is always opposed to earning, right? But it's not opposed to effort. Grace empowers our effort and enables me to do what I cannot do on my own.
0: That's the second time in this conversation that I've heard the, the ghost of Dallas Willard.
1: Yes, I think so. I think I've been pretty influenced by Dallas Willard.
0: Dallas Willard was the one who taught me that Jesus's teachings, a lot of the church used to think Jesus' teachings are only designed to be impossible to prove to you how much you stink. So that you would realize Yeah, so that you would realize you'll never you'll never be good enough. I guess I'll just have to be forgiven as a moron and get to heaven on on Jesus' merit yeah. instead. <laughs> and Dallas said, we are going to get to heaven by Jesus' merit instead of our own. However, the commands of Jesus are actually meant to be lived because the commands usher us into a lifestyle that expresses and experiences the faithfulness and goodness of god and the design of god and we can get to the point where we obey god naturally and easily
1: yeah i think i think it was um, dallas willard in the divine conspiracy you know jesus teaches in the sermon on the mount don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing and I remember early on as a Christian reading that, going, how is that even possible? And I would try things with my right hand to see if there's any way that my left hand could know, because I, I wanted to take this Jesus seriously, right? Like, I'm supposed to obey what he commands. And I thought, nope, there's no way to do this. But, and Dallas simply said, you become the kind of person who just naturally does these things. That's the goal. This is just how you live life. So when you brush your teeth or when you're putting on your clothes, you're not really thinking about any of that. You just do it. Like, oh, well, yeah, that makes way more sense. And
0: when I think of faithfulness, I think of the word loyalty in the generation of Noah. Yeah. He was the only one. Yeah. You know, he was the only <laughs> one that was found righteous. Or maybe another way to say is he was the only one that was still loyal to God. Everyone else yeah. was following after the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the boasting of what a man has and does. You find a moment in Paul where he's mad, and he starts naming names. <laughs> he says, "Demas ran after the world. Uh, this guy left me. This guy left me. The only one I have is uh, Luke or somebody like that." Yeah. And I and I'm going, "Dang, Paul's salty. He like names, <laughs> names."
1: Proverbs says that the The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom, right? And in Scripture, fear and faith, in the Old Testament, fear and faith are used equally to describe our relationship to God, each about 150 times in the Old Testament, which is a strange thing. Like, we don't ever talk about the fear of God anymore, unless, of course, you're like a fire brimstone preaching pastor somewhere. But um, mostly we just want to talk about faith. But in the Old Testament... Faith and fear, they, they were inseparable in a relationship to God. And it's that fear of God that's the beginning of knowledge that, that leads to wisdom and, and the, the life that Psalm 1 describes as a fruitful tree, right? I mean, here's this image of fruit again. Adam and Eve back in the garden had this opportunity to walk with God daily in the cool evening breeze so he could teach them and impart wisdom to them as they grew in his presence and relationship or they could reach out and take that fruit for themselves. And that's what they chose. And I think that's just a basic pattern all throughout Scripture and in our own lives. Lots of people saw it. When Paul told everybody, hey, everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit tells me, yeah, you're done, buddy. You're going to die. I got to go back and do this. They're crying, and they're trying to persuade him to stay. And how could you not do that, right? I mean, here are all these believers. Aren't they praying? Aren't they listening to God? Aren't they hearing the Holy Spirit? And and they're trying to deter Paul from going, and yet Paul knows, no? I mean, there's wisdom in what you're saying, but I don't think it's the fear of the Lord wisdom right now, and I need to pursue uh, this.
0: Right. Self-preserving wisdom. Yeah. Kind of similar to uh, Peter saying, no, Lord, that'll never happen to you, and he's got his face set like a flint <laughs> to Jerusalem.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, I mean, can you blame Peter? If it were in your power to protect Jesus from being crucified, don't you think you'd want to exert some of that power if you were one of those disciples? Like,
0: 100%. Man,
1: that's, and I, I think that's why Jesus told them, hey, you guys need to pray. I mean, you're, you're about to be tempted to take the fruit of your own knowledge or to rely on the fear of the Lord. I don't think you're strong enough yet.
0: Of course, the the classic example is Abraham and Sarah, the mother and father <sighs> of faith. I love that the Bible remembers them and names them as the yeah. father and mother of faith. And uh, Sarah laughed,
1: right? <laughs> and then lied about it. <laughs> and then they both went in all in with the, taking advantage of Hagar and. It's, and it's interesting to me because hey, I put in my notes some stuff here on Abraham. I mean, it took Abraham about 75 years of his life before God starts speaking to him that we're told of in, in Scripture. I mean, maybe he was speaking to him when he was in his 20s, but it's not recorded. We don't know. you know. And so here's a lifetime of living before we have someone who hears from God. And it's another 25 years of him practicing obedience to the one thing where, that he's told to go do before God makes that promise to him. Like, when I, when, when I first read through Genesis, I got this idea that Abraham and God talked every day. They were buddies, like texting back and forth and Snapchatting and all of that, but it's really like every 20, 25 years that God speaks to him. You know, he, he has to go on with a faithful life for 20 years with one word, you know, and some of us struggle if we think we haven't heard from God in the last 24 hours. And, well, I just don't know what to do. Like, yeah, you do. There's there's plenty. There's more to be obedient to still than to figure out new secret will of God. But he, he's called righteous because of his faith and faithfulness. And in Isaiah, uh, God, God calls his people oaks of righteousness. I'm not a botanist by any means. But I thought, well, that's interesting, oaks of righteousness. And so I looked up some stuff on oak trees, and, you know, they don't begin to produce acorns, fruit, until they're about 30 years old. That's a long time for a tree to have to wait to produce fruit. And, man, faithfulness takes a long time. Because if you do the act once, does that make you faithful? I don't think so. I think you have to do the the same act over and over and over for a long time before you can – rightfully be called faithful so after 30 years you can start producing fruit but they don't reach full maturity and and consistently producing fruit until 75 years (laughs) like that takes a long time to become an oak of righteousness
0: (laughs) and you can throw the whole thing down the tubes if you don't finish the race
1: yeah and then you throw that in like really Paul like I have to run as as one who's gonna not only finish but win the race right and right like it's hard to imagine to live a life of being faithful only at the very end to trip and say never mind.
0: Yeah, I don't ah. want to I don't want to be like a Saul who uh, starts with the anointing and ends in the flesh.
1: Or worse yet, a Solomon who prays to God, "Give me a heart of wisdom to lead your people." And and God says, "Man, that's good. That's good in my eyes that you asked for that. I'll give that to you and everything else." Only Keep doing this every day. Keep ha- asking for this same heart, and and Solomon goes. All right, I'll go do everything kings of Israel are not supposed to now. What? Why would you? How can you do that? And Moses says, Hey, you know, whoever's on the throne there, they've got one job. They need to handwrite the Torah, so that they can internalize it. Right? Imagine if the president of the United States had only one job. He sat down and he's just handwriting a copy of the Hebrew scriptures. <laughs>
0: that'd be amazing
1: would that be incredible Moses says here's what you don't want to do don't go get horses and chariots especially from Egypt and don't pursue gold and don't seek to expand your territory and leave the women alone and all four things immediately that's where Solomon goes like oh
0: general spiritual lessons that that have just sort of come to you through osmosis by virtue of being so immersed in martial
1: arts. Oh. Ah. Uh, position, control, submission. I mean it's it's a pattern, it's a sequence. Position, control, submission. And if you can if you can remember that, if you train with that in mind, I mean, your jujitsu is going to far outpace your classmates, and they're going to be either quitting because their egos can't take it or asking you, how are you getting so much better than me? <laughs> and so spiritually, I mean, I look at that same thing and go position, control, submission. Like what's my posture before the Lord? I mean, am I, Am I even – am I abiding? Am I being still? Am I – doing psalm is it psalm 34 7 or 37 4 i don't know the numbers i get back mixed back and forth but it says delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart and then a few verses down it says wait longingly for the lord do i do that do i do that because if i don't then the next thing control is just it's not going to be there it's going to be my control not being controlled by the Holy Spirit, not being led by the Holy Spirit. When you get to the submission part, the execution of, you know, the end game in, in jiu-jitsu is they tap and you win. The end game in discipleship, I think, is love. Like, if I'm not following position, control, submission, I, I'm never going to love. I'm going to do cheap tricks to that look like love, but it's not. And then I think another thing I w- have learned you try and keep training with as many people as you can, and you know they're trying to choke you. <laughs> they're trying to break you. But when I find myself in a position where I'm in trouble, two things have to happen. I have to change elevation, and I have to change my direction. Like If I'm colliding with someone and we're stuck here, I can't think that I'm just going to keep pushing harder and it's going to work. I either need to get lower and cut an angle or higher and come over a new angle or something – but there, you have to change elevation and direction. And so uh, I remind myself all the time, when I'm colliding with something, if there's spiritual warfare going on, or if I'm at odds with a brother or sister or someone on the board of administration, you know, that never happens, by the way. I always agree with my church leaders 100%. I'm joking. We, we don't, right? I need to change my elevation and direction. I mean, I, I need to drop down to my knees and pray and I need to decide to move in the direction that the Holy Spirit tells me to move. I can't remain stubbornly locked in, hoping I can out-strengthen, out-muscle, outlast my, my opponent. And then another thing, I'll give you one more, pressure. Jiu-Jitsu is largely about pressure. I mean, and there are two kinds of pressure. There's the kind where you move really fast around your opponent, so they constantly have to move and respond to what you're doing, and, and you can exhaust them that way, but... It, you can only do that for so long. The other kind of pressure is, you turn into a giant wet blanket that smothers them. And no matter what they do, they cannot move the direction they wanna go. Being on the giving end of that pressure is great. It's, it's really fun. You know, it, it's great when you can tell, I have psychologically broken this person. And now <laughs> I can do whatever I want physically. <laughs> but when you're on the receiving end of that pressure, it can cause you to panic and make dumb mistakes that get you choked or put into some shoulder, elbow, knee, ankle lock or whatever, you look back on it and you go I know I knew better than that. I know not to do that, but I did it anyway. But pressure when if you can learn to stay calm and breathe and relax and realize well they're safe positions, even though the pressures on, I'm safe. my elbows are in, my chin is tucked. nothing's exposed. I mean it's not necessarily comfortable, but this too will pass. We're going to find a way out of this. And I liken that to watch and pray. Watch and pray. Like Sometimes life just sucks, and it feels like there's no way out. Stay patient. I mean, that's God is faithful, right? God is faithful, and it's an opportunity to practice my faithful response to Him. Yeah.
0: Do you remember one time in seminary, I leaned over to you. I said, George, uh what would you do if right now I just hauled off and randomly punched you in the face? And without even looking at me, just very quietly, you said you would be on the ground so fast you didn't know what hit you.
1: I'm pretty sure that was in our um, pastor as servant leader class. (laughs) Uh, It was the same class that you and I did like a little project on parenting. I remember that.
0: (laughs) <laughs> That's crazy. You have a good memory.
1: Well, it's not very often that someone asks me that. I came across this Jewish myth. There's, there's a craftsman who his art is clay. And he creates this human form out of clay. But on it, he writes the word emmet, which means faith or trust or faithfulness. What we've been talking about, emmet. This clay figurine begins to grow and getting larger and larger and larger as it's doing this, the creator is – he's scared. He's afraid what's going to happen as this thing gets bigger. Right. He, he doesn't trust that it's good. He's worried that it's going to turn evil. And so he has this idea that if he can reach the forehead and wipe off the first letter of the name, then that will cause the this creature to stop growing. And so he tricks it into bending down and does just that. Because when you take the first letter off of Emmet, you get met, which means death. And so this thing began to die. And and he saved the town on this. And so like, the purpose of the, the myth or is that without faithfulness, death is what we can expect. And I, I thought, wow, that's a that's really powerful. There's a very thin line between faithfulness and death. It's one letter. One letter is all that there was there in that story. And uh like wow. You know, and all throughout scripture we're given these two options.
0: You quote Hebrew about as often as I quote Greek.
1: <laughs> How did you stay up on your Hebrew? Uh I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. <laughs> I keep I keep trying to I mean, even right now I'm I'm enrolled in some Greek and Hebrew courses and trying to get better and better at it. I mean, I would love it if I could just carry a Greek and Hebrew Bible around and not need my English, but I'm not that smart. But I, I really enjoy the stories. and.
0: That all sounds very nerdly and geeky. <laughs> until Until you meet someone and they see the connections that are lost in translation.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And then all of a sudden you go, oh, that's not fair. I want to learn that.
1: Yeah, I'm a little bit jealous of that. Like, oh, you got to discover that and see that? Oh, man, I I want that. And when I read in Greek and Hebrew, it makes me do it slowly. And so I have to pay attention. So that helps. I'm
0: heavily, heavily dependent on my software.
1: Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the software now can do what our professors spent their entire dissertation work on. And we can do it in like two minutes. And uh, yep. I've talked to some of those people, like, I don't know how to feel about this software. So what are you guys
0: working on tonight?
1: Oh, we're going to work on passing guard. So getting around someone's legs. They're laying on the ground and you want to be able to choke them. So you got to get past their legs before you can do it.
0: Whatever happened to just punching someone in the face?
1: Oh, too many bones in the hands. They break easy. I mean, No, thank you. And if I hit you, you can still fight me. But if I choke you unconscious, eh, you're not going to do anything. I, I can go away. <laughs> this
0: definitely reminds me of how I felt in seminary. The whole idea of, <laughs> I, do you remember the conversation we had when I was like, how do you guys pay the bills? And you were like, God's calculator.
1: Yeah, yep. Oh, a hernia. Yeah. Yeah, I had two of them, and I didn't pay a dime for either of them. In fact, I went to the, the surgeon. They did the surgery. I had to have it done. I was scared about the, how I was going to pay for it. And then when it was time, I never got a bill. I never got anything, and then I needed a second surgery, and so I went back to the doctor, the same doctor, and he – the end of it, he said, so how did we pay for the last one? What do we do? And I said, I never got a bill. You guys didn't bill me, so I'm going to have to pay for two of these. He said, well, we'll do the same thing for this one then. I didn't know the guy. He just – I never got a bill for either of them. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and then in seminary, I had saved up enough money to pay for the next two semesters. I mean, I was working full time. I had wife, I had kids, and so it's not like I inherited millions. I, I was earning everything and spending everything, and we had saved up, and we had friends from Africa, from Kenya come over, and they said, we, we need to come and pray for you, or pray with you. I said, okay. They said, what are we praying? And they said, we don't have any more money. We need you to pray that God will provide for us, and uh, we'll be able to finish our last semester because they were one, one semester away from getting their PhD and being able to go home. I said, all right, let's pray. And I just had to ask them, by the way, wh- how, exactly how much do you need? And what did you know? That's exactly what we had saved up. And of course, God says, give it to them. <sighs> okay, God. But I can tell you because we were faithful to do that, even not knowing that God, how we were going to pay it or how it would all turn out, I have zero debt from college and seminary, never carried any debt. It it all got paid for somehow, some way. So God just has a different calculator. <laughs> but we've always been faithful to give. We've always been faithful to be generous and thankful when we receive. and. I don't know i can't tell you how many like i've got story after story tim vehicles that i've gotten for free and been able to give away and we've never been above the poverty line in terms of income as a family and yet my kids would never know that they would never know that you know the just god has been so good to us because i i think honestly it's because we pursue him i mean i don't not